That was just fantastic, wasn't it? Wasn't the music fantastic? Thank you, Michelle. Oh, that was just so beautiful, so powerful. Tonight we're going to look at the final in our series on 1 John. And it's been a fantastic series, hasn't it? You know, what, what for people have been, you know, the significant, I guess, message of, of 1 John? Can anyone tell me what's, what is the one thing that 1 John, if you had to know anything about it, if you had to summarise it into one statement, what, what do you think that would be? Anyone Anyone guess? Anyone know? Love. Love. Who said that? <laughs> Jonathan said it. Ah, oh, he knows the title of my sermon tonight. <laughs> yes, and I promise. No, I don't promise. I will try my very best to get it in order tonight. Not go backwards and forwards. Yeah, 1 John is God is love. God is love. And tonight we come to the final um, uh, chapter in 1 John. It's 1 John 5. And I'd just love you to turn with your Bibles now and have a look at 1 John 5, 1 to 12. I might be wrong. There might be one more week, is there? One more. Oh, right. Second last. Okay. 1 John 5, 1 to 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Anyone who believes in the son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. And this is where you get goosebumps. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. The beautiful, profound, incredible scripture and I'm going to try to do it justice tonight through the Holy Spirit. But you know, today is Mother's Day, right? And um, if you were like me, um, I'm a mum 
And obviously to be a mum, you actually have to give birth. You, you have to have a child to be called a mother. And usually when you do give birth, that child calls you mother. You become a mother to that child. And the Bible talks about birth and it, it's an incredible thing, but it talks about two different types of birth. It actually talks about in Matthew 11, 11, our physical birth and and that's just accepted that human beings are born physically through the womb of a woman. Among those born of women, says Jesus, there has not been there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So the um, assumption is that, of course, human beings are born physically through a female, a human being. But the Bible also talks about a second birth, not a physical birth. And we're all here tonight. We've all experienced a physical birth because we're here but the Bible actually also talks about a second type of birth and it's a spiritual birth. And in John 3, 3, it says, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And you think, what are they on about? Born again. I'm already, I've been born once. What does it mean to be born again? Well, in John 1, I just, oh, hang on. I had to show you all these pretty pics. See, I'm no good with this. It took me ages to do this. Look at all these amazing little pictures. Look, we'll just stop for a moment. There's birth. Look at that. Oh, baby being born. There's a cute little baby. There's another cute little baby. There's an even cuter baby that get, that's got all messy. Okay, so in John 1, 12 to 13, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You know, I have to say in my lifetime, I have met so many people that have just thought that God has just done the dirty on them, that he's created the biggest joke of their lives by allowing them to be born into a family where parents did not model the love of God, didn't model the Father God. In fact, instead of nurturing and loving their children, a lot of the people I've met in my lifetime have experienced from birth parents that almost, and indeed some, went out to do exactly the opposite, to create harm instead of good. And it breaks your heart and it wasn't God's intention. But do you know what? Tonight, I want to tell you something that I've just started to get my head around. God gives us a second chance. God always redeems that that man has mucked up. And when we choose to give our lives to Jesus, we have the opportunity to be born spiritually again and to have all of that stuff that's from our past restored. We have an opportunity for a new spirit, a new hope, 
a new purpose, a new position, in short, a new life. A new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And I praise God that there isn't anyone here in this room tonight that cannot have their lives turned around by being born again, spiritually again, spiritually made new, a new creation So that's what it means in 1 John 5, 1a, when it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's our hope. So that's my introduction. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that tonight we are going to understand what the new birthmarks are of being born again, being born anew. Thank you for your word. And I would just pray that here tonight, if there is anyone that does not know you, that this would be the night that they would choose to say, Jesus, I want a new start. I want to change from the old to the new. I want to be a new creation. I want to be born of God. And I want to pray for those that have already made that transition, that incredible seminal transition in their lives. I want to pray that tonight as we unpack your word, that they'll reflect upon the three key significant birthmarks of being born anew. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's some three cute little girls up there. And I have to tell you that This is a pretty old picture because one of them is me and most of you know or some of you may not know that I'm a triplet and can you guess which one I am? Mm. Probably don't. Which one? You're right. Oh my gosh, you're right. (laughs) Well, even my mother couldn't tell. (laughs) But there was something defining about me that I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. I actually have a birthmark and that's true and and it's okay. I have it just below the belly button here. I have a real birthmark and my other sisters don't have that. So in actual fact, one way my mother could tell us apart was by actually looking at my birthmark and she could say, well, that's Gail. I mean, I think she really probably knew it was me anyway. But I mean, all through my life, people still can't tell the difference between myself and my other two sisters. But one of the defining birthmarks of the believer is not a mark on the belly, but actually three things. So not one, three. And tonight, this is what I want you to concentrate on. Three birthmarks from the passage we've been looking at tonight. Birthmarks of the believer, the new person that's been born of God. First is that they will have belief in God's commands, the C. Okay, remember the C. The second is that they will believe that they have victory through the Son. That's the V. So the C and the V, right? And the third, the third birthmark of the believer, according to this passage, is that you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that only in him is their life. 
So I was thinking about this and I thought, how am I going to get this to stick in my head and help me to remember? So I thought, CV, ah, my CV, curriculum vitae. Okay, what's your curriculum vitae? It's all you need to know about yourself when you go for a job. It's, it's your life experience, it's your study, it's your work experience, it's where you were born, it's whether you're married, how many children. So all of my life contained in my CV is summed up in Jesus and that gives me life. So anyway, that's how I thought I could remember that. Your CV equals Jesus, which equals life. So believe his commands, the scripture says. And it says, and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And you might ask, well, well, what are his commands? Well, There's only two. And in Luke 10, 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And a second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself. These are the two greatest commands. On these hang all the law and the prophets. So that is what we need to do as the first birthmark of a believer, to love God and to love others. 1 John 4:19 says, "We love because he first loved us." And in Galatians 4:6 it says, "Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father." And you know, when we think about that beautiful scripture, in Galatians, we realise that it is normal and natural for God's children to love the Heavenly Father. The more we come to know about God, the more we understand what God has done for us and the easier it is for us to love him. The more I comprehend the sacrifice of Calvary, the more I understand how much my Heavenly Father sacrificed in order to send his son Jesus into the world, the more I love him. So the first commandment is this, to love the Lord your God. But the second is to love your family. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God, carrying out his commands and obeying his commands and His commands are not burdensome. Go back. (laughs) His commands are not burdensome. You know, um, I can remember a long time ago, I was a new Christian and, and I met a lady that, well, actually it was interesting, her husband was delivering um, wood to our home This was many, many years ago. And he got talking to me and he said, you'd really like my wife. I think you'd really get on well with my wife. And before I knew it, he had arranged for us to meet. So we met and I I found myself really struggling with this kind of, it was a bit of an imposed friendship 
that um, I guess I hadn't chosen myself. And this lady had come out of a really damaged past and, and I found it a real struggle in my spirit to try and get a handle on this different family culture. It was so different to my own family and, and, and this couple raised their children so differently to how I raised my children. And, and many times this lady, she looked really like she felt, which was quite dishevelled and dishevelled, you know, unkempt. And, and yet our friendship developed. And over the years, she, she really never changed her physical um, outward look, but she changed internally. And, and I can remember once uh, another Christian coming to me and saying, I don't get it. Is she your friend? As if somehow she couldn't marry this person and myself together. And I can remember going back to how I originally felt when I met this woman and how I journeyed the journey with her. And God taught me so much in that time about selflessly loving someone, even when they were hard to love, even when they were different to me, even when, I'll be honest, not many other people in the church, you know, sort of interacted with them. And God taught me that it is such a rich blessing to learn to love others as God would want to love us. But the real principle is we love because he first loved us. And I've got to tell you, I would not have been able to sustain that friendship, which lasted, it's over 20 years now, if God, if I hadn't have known God loved me and had given me the strength to love someone else that was kind of hard to love, at times, and God challenges us to love others. And it isn't burdensome. It isn't burdensome when we realise how much we are loved ourselves. You know, when you see a brother or sister in God struggling and continually struggling, what do you do? What would you like to see in yourself? How do you respond? Well, I think we've got to learn to respond as Christ responds. You know, I, and to love others and to love his family. You know, I think of the story of Paul and Silas preaching the gospel in Philippi. They, they got put into jail for their testimony and the Philippian jailer scourged them and beat them until there were stripes and welts on them. And then at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing praises to God and praying. And I, I wonder if God was enjoying the music and the singing so much and he was tapping his feet that that's what created the earthquake. And the jail doors were flung open, the Bible says. And the jailer thought that he had lost his prisoners. But they said, you know, we don't mean you any harm. We're all here. And you remember what happened. The jailer rushed in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. And he did believe and he received Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. And that night at midnight, he was born into the family of God. 
Now watch the difference in his life. He took Paul and Silas, washed their stripes, put a meal on the table before them and fellowshiped with them. He loved them. And if you are truly born again, the birthmark of love will be the characteristic of your life. So we need to believe in his commands. And, you know, I saw this cartoon on the weekend and it just, I kind of laughed initially and then I thought, no, it's wrong. It says it's God and he's pointing his finger to the earth and he says, hmm, it's been a couple of thousand years. I think the commandments need um, a bit of a rework. They're not working. Well, you know, when we look around at the world, we could really say that, couldn't we? You know, I think when we think about the world and how it clamours for freedom, everywhere you turn, people are saying, I want to be free. I want to live without restrictions. I want freedom. Give me my own way. Yet in their pursuit of freedom, in the desire to do what we want to do, regardless of God's commands, we don't find freedom. Instead, we find bondage and slavery and shame. On the other hand, when a person says, I will do your will, God, then we find that we are released. We are free. We are fulfilled. We find everything we are looking for when we willingly submit to the will of God. And not only do we find freedom, but we find joy in keeping the commandments of God. If we love God, the Bible says, we will want to keep his commands. And then we will keep his, and when we keep his commands, we will discover a remarkable thing. It actually brings us life. It actually brings us joy. How many of us here tonight feel alive? How many of us here tonight feel joyous? That's what loving God's commandments are. Do to us. They bring us life and they bring us joy. And so now we come to the second birthmark. The first is his commands love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world, says the scripture? Well, the power that enables believers to overcome the world with its struggles, with its hardships, with its temptations, is faith. The means of victory is faith. The fact that we hold the true faith from our hearts is how the power of the new birth operates in us and helps us to overcome the world John 10.10 says, the devil comes to seek, to kill, rob and destroy. But I have come to bring life and life in all its fullness. We have to have faith in Jesus Christ to overcome the devil, the world and our flesh. And Romans 8.37 says, now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
It is only through our Lord Jesus Christ that we have faith and we have victory. And, you know, there is no reason at all to be a defeated Christian. If you are a born-again child of God, everything you need for victory is available to you. You know, the word that says overcome in this passage has got a past, a present and a future tense. The present is that right now, wherever I am, if I am in Jesus Christ, if I believe he is the Son of God, I have the power to overcome right now in my everyday present life. But it has a future tense as well. It says that because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I have eternal life and that life brings hope, hope forever. It's a future tense but it's a past tense as well. And that past tense has everything to do with one event, which we sang about so magnificently tonight. It's, it was the cross. It was on the cross at Calvary that we experienced victory in Jesus Christ, in the work of Jesus Christ, going from the cross through to the tomb Back to the right hand of the Father, we have all that is necessary for total victory. Now, you know, I always get the opportunity when I preach to embarrass my husband. And so I thought, well, why be any different tonight? So, you know, sorry, Warren, it's great though. (laughs) Funny thing, swimming in the sea just to model this sense of victory and how we have it in Christ. I'm actually terrified of the sea. My husband loves the sea. He loves sailing. I just wish, I I love the look of the sea, but I don't like being in it. And a few Christmases ago, he wanted me to body surf the waves at, um, you know, (laughs) I know. Uh, And he never, ever stops to think that you can't do it. That's just not the sort of person he is. He just expects you to do it. So they are really big waves, right? And when we're together, if he goes out into the water first and swims around and I see he hasn't been eaten by a shark or died by a killer wave, then I think I can get into the water and swim and I'll be safe. I will overcome, right? And my means of victory of getting into the water is through Warren's strength and victory. I always embarrass him in a nice way. Uh, But, but the truth is, I still have to get into that water myself. Even though I've seen that incredibly buffed, toned man (laughs) swimming away in the water, I still have to step into the water myself. I still have to have faith first in him and then in my belief in him. By the way, my kids are saying my hearing's going and my eyesight's going as well. When we first started catching the waves, he would turn around and check to see that I hadn't drowned, kept giving me those little nudging, encouraging words like, here comes this killer wave, you can do it, Gail. And eventually his belief in me and his love encouraged me to go it alone. And it is precisely that faith 
that we need in Jesus Christ that gives us victory, gives us victory to overcome. Now, suppose you're saying, I'm a born-again believer, Gail, but I'm defeated. I'm a child of God and yet I live a life of daily defeat in my Christian experience. How do you get this victory you're talking about? What does the Bible say? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our struggling and our fighting? Is that what John says? No, it's not what he says. He says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith is the switch that turns on the power of Christ into our life. So to summarise, the birthmark of being born again, know his commands, follow them through, but know his victory, know his victory in your life. And the third one, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that only in the Son is their life. 1 John 5, 5 onwards says, Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. The water and the blood that they were referring to in all probability refer to Jesus' baptism and his death. Jesus came to show that he was truly the son of God when the dove descended. And yet at the time of Jesus, there was uh, just after his death, there was a whole lot of heresies that said, no, he wasn't fully human when he died on the cross. No, he only became God when he um, you know, came to earth. But when he died, he died as a man. There were all sorts of heresies. And John in this scripture says, no, the baptism testifies that he is the son of God. And more than that, His death testifies that he is the son of God because after his death, he came again, he rose again. And lastly, the spirit testifies to the truth that Jesus is the son of God. This is what the Lord Jesus himself had promised his disciples. When the counsellor comes, whom I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me, but you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. So how does the spirit testify today? 
Well, through the channels he commissioned and used at the beginning, through us. And how does he guide us in truth? Primarily through his word. The spirit of God still takes the word of God and produces children of God. God himself through Jesus Christ bears our sins and shows that the final reality in the universe is his sin-bearing, pardoning love. And Jesus came primarily for these things, to pardon our sins, so we could restore our relationship with God now and forever. And that is the reason. And you know, we need to have these things seeded deeply in us, almost like a birthmark that can never be rubbed off. We need to. Why? Because the world wants to tell us that we're wrong. The world wants to belittle our Jesus. The world wants us to believe that he wasn't really the son of God, that he, he is irrelevant. You know, not this weekend, the weekend before I was reading The Weekend Age and I just got so disheartened because there was a whole article by The Guardian. It was written by a newspaper, not a person, a paper. So this paper had its own opinion and it was talking about, you know, when you get on the internet and there's um, MySpace, you know that? Or is it your space? MySpace. (laughs) I thought I was being really trendy then. (laughs) I don't even know what it is. But it's MySpace, right? And they were just saying how marvellous this this internet site is. And now you can actually go to Godspace. There is another internet site called Godspace, which has just supplanted MySpace. And this article was ridiculing this site written by a newspaper, an English newspaper. It was ridiculing it. It was just saying that we're a pack of, you know, ultra-right weirdos, fundamentalists, you know, just trying to imitate something that is just, you know, so wonderful. And this was... It just rubbished God's face. So I read that article. Then a few pages over, there was some... um, Uh, sort of book extracts and there was some critiques on the book extracts and one was a book about Islam. And, you know, I think we have to understand about Islam but this critique actually was so glowing about the religion of Islam and that seriously people should give it a go, people should try it. And I thought, Wow, in one newspaper we have the rubbishing of Christianity and the elevating of another religion. And so if we don't stand firm, if we don't testify, the spirit testifies to our heart, but we have to testify to the world that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and only in him do we have life. Agree? Amen. It's real, isn't it? We live in such an incredibly dangerous, oppressive, challenging world. But you know, these last two verses must stand out as the most magnificent in the whole of the New Testament. The consequence 
of believing God's truth or denying it could hardly be more important or more far-reaching. Eternal destinies are at stake. Eternal life means literally the life of eternity, the life of the world to come. And yet this is something which God has already given to every one of us that believe in Jesus. It is the present possession of every Christian believer. In Jesus, the invisible God has revealed himself in terms that can be understood anytime, anywhere. It can be understood in a life that is lived with the Son of God in us. So how does this finally translate in our lives? Do you have the son in your life? Have you been reborn? Do you bear the birthmarks of a believer? If you have the son, do you experience love for him, a passion for him? And if that were a sign about you, like a new birthmark, what would that look like? Maybe you're praying with him all day. Maybe you have allowed him into all the areas of your life, not just some. Maybe you love to read his words so you can experience his truths and his spirit more. Maybe you love spending time with him in prayer. Maybe you love to reflect upon him outside in nature. Maybe people would say, you've changed. You've become more forgiving, more loving, more compassionate, less self-centred. Today, what more do you need to do or perhaps what should you stop doing to achieve greater love for his commands, greater love for God, greater love? Do you have a passion for him above all? Do you experience love for his family, your brothers and sisters in Christ? And do you learn to keep these two commandments above all else? And if that were a sign about you, like a new birthmark, what would that look like? Would you consider him in your decision-making more? Would you prioritise time with him and his people more? Would you be less judging of his people and his church? Would you want to serve more? Would you want to see more people saved? Would you want to be a blessing more to others rather than receiving blessing? Would you make a decision to follow him, even giving up your comfortable lifestyle to follow him to the mission field? Would you go the extra mile with your brother or sister, even when you don't feel like it or it becomes just too burdensome? Would you swim against the tide of peer pressure to make a decision for Jesus Christ? Today, what more do you need to do? Or perhaps what would you stop doing to achieve greater passion for God and his people, for Jesus and his people. And lastly, do you have victory in your life? If that were a sign about you, like a new birthmark, what would that look like? Would you be bolder in your faith? Would you focus on your strengths and what you do have rather than your weaknesses and what you don't have? Would you continue to stand firm in your faith despite the pressures, the temptations and obstacles in the world, in your world, in your family, in your workplace, in your, at your uni? Would you say yes to something you know God has been asking you to do but you have been ignoring it? Would you keep going in your walk 
in your small group, in attending church, even when it feels too hard to do so. You know, you've got to remember you're new. Even if you've got a bit of dirt on you, you're still new. Christ's power lives in you. Remember, live your life by loving his commands, by loving his son, by loving his victory in your life. And just to wind up, the three aspects, the three birthmarks of a believer, are they you? I would really pray that they are you. You know, that photo of the three little children, a history of confused identity because I'm sort of a part of a third but I'm an individual as well. But you know what? Coming to know Jesus Christ has given me a distinct, unique identity because I have the son of God and he brings me my own life. Oh, I pray that you would respond to God's word tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much that your desire is that you would come and live in us so that we would have life, so that we would have victory, so that we could love, love you and love others and we would have it now and we would have it for all eternity and our past, if it was muddied, if it was soiled, if it was less than it should have been, can be recreated right now, right here today. And I would just pray that if there is anyone here tonight that has felt the call of your spirit on their life right now, right here today, with your eyes closed, I would just pray for those people that you would just raise your hand, raise your hand here. This is not me. This is not, this is not something that you have to be embarrassed about. If you are feeling the call of God on your life tonight and you truly want the Son of God in your life right now, right here tonight, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Don't be afraid. Just raise your hand. Hmm. Lord Jesus, I just assume from that that there are either folk here that have already done that or there are some that are still a way to go on their journey, but that's okay. I just pray that tonight, Lord Jesus, for those that have given their life to you, tonight will be a defining night for them, that they will choose to really have you more and more in their lives and experience life in more and more abundance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.